welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Well, welcome back, one and all. This is the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute, uh, also living on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. I'm Ryan Aris, and I am joined for this uh, special Christmas episode of the podcast by Joe Boot and Nate Wright. And you know that it's a, uh, a Christmas podcast because uh, Nate and I have got our, uh, our Christmas sweaters on. And uh, Joe has, uh, has smartened up in his, uh, I guess, less traditional, more traditional kind of way. But we appreciate your, uh, your waistcoat, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> this, uh, we're going to be talking. Right, Ebenezer Scrooge of you. that's good yeah means a nightcap that's right (laughs) so we're gonna we're gonna be talking about christmas and about christmas celebrations uh before we get into that i have a message for all of the uh the christian teenagers uh, who are listening to us uh teens uh are you ready are you looking to level up your understanding of life and faith and culture? Uh, if that is you, we want you to join the Worldview Youth Academy. Uh, go and uh, tell your dads that this is what you want for Christmas, uh, and they will be delighted to hear it because they haven't finished your shopping yet. Uh, this is a, a week-long opportunity for you to transform your worldview, uh, stimulate Christian thinking, engage with like-minded peers, and uh if you register now, uh, you'll get uh, get an early bird rate. Uh, it's uh, it's on EzraInstitute.com. Follow all the uh, all the links there in the banner. You'll be able to register for the 2024 Worldview Youth Academy. We're running two of those sessions: uh, one in uh, Ontario, Canada, and one in uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, in uh, in the summer of 2024. So check that out. Get, a, uh, get an early bird discount rate now, and we'll look forward to seeing you at the Worldview Youth Academy. All right, so that's, uh, I don't want to uh, bog us down uh, too much further with, uh, with commentary and announcements. I want to get into a, uh, a special, as I said, this is a special Christmas episode. This is also a, uh, a listener question episode. This is a, uh, this is a question that, uh, that we tend to get uh, perennially. Uh, every, every year around this time, a couple of people are, are struggling through the question of uh, whether and how to celebrate Christmas at all. Uh, and uh, a listener writes in, guys, uh, how, I've met some Christians that don't celebrate Christmas because the season's tainted with celebrations not to the Messiah, but to pagan gods. Uh, even uh, writes that December 25th uh, has been traditionally associated with a birthday celebration of a pagan god. So the, uh, the question is, uh, we as Christians, uh, we who believe that the, the historic birth of Jesus is a, a critical doctrine of the Christian faith, uh, should we celebrate it and how should we celebrate it? Uh, and uh, we'll, get, we'll get into... Uh, so some of the some of the implications there about uh, the the time times of year feast days uh, the uh, the person and the historicity of Christ but uh, all of those things we will we will draw out so I want to uh, actually Joe I'll put it I'll put it over to you first um, the birth of Christ the historic uh, reality of uh, of Christ's advent as a baby. Uh, how how do we celebrate that, and uh, what do we what do we make of this uh, December twenty fifth uh, uh, traditionally uh, associated date with it, and what do we do with uh, with these comments or aspersions that uh, this is also uh, historically a uh, a pagan celebration? Well, the first thing I would say is that I am perennially surprised by the significance and importance that some people want to attach to this discussion. And I'm sure in a moment, you know, we can just discuss back and forth a few of the historical uh, issues and items involved. But I think the first thing to say is, first of all, the questioner has a, a legitimate question because they're struggling with other believers who are making an issue 
um, and perhaps bringing into a sense of condemnation even uh, those around them who are who are celebrating the Christ Mass, the the feast of the birth of Christ, the feast of the Nativity. And uh, I was just actually on on Twitter today and made a made a comment. Some pastor in America. Um, rattling on about uh, the, uh, the 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 problem with uh, the celebration of Christmas and the the, uh, the the so-called pagan character of it and so on, and and I would say my my first response is this: Has the Christian Church not got more important things, more important fish to fry right now than squabbling mm. over the? Christmas celebrations that have been celebrated in the Western world for over a thousand years uh, in, in different ways, longer in fact, but, uh, but as I think about England and, and the, the, the tr- and traditional celebrations, um, this, this, is a, this is a feast that's been celebrated by believers for hundreds and hundreds of years in far better times culturally, politically, socially, familiarly, and ecclesiastically than our own. So is it really the issue that the church should be grappling with um, and talking about and that Christians should be distracted with when we are in a time where we can't, our our society doesn't know that there are two genders and that Christians (laughs) think that debating whether um, the date of December 25th is absolutely the correct day or whether the church uh, chose this day to take uh, and took over as it did, it took over certain um, buildings in the Middle Ages. It would it would often take over pagan structures, pagan buildings, and mm-hmm. um, turn them into churches. Uh, well, no more than I than I think we should be having a debate about whether the Christ, the Christian should buy a building that was once owned by pagans to turn it into a church. I think the discussion about the, the, the festival of Christ Mass and its exact date and whether it was on the date of a pagan festival is equally unimportant. And um, I, I do think that, you know, when I see these kinds of discussions going on and I see people's, um, in a sense, their joy, the, the, the question that, that came in for us on this one, people's joy being shaken, being people being robbed of uh, joy and beauty at this this time of year by... They're not Puritans because the the, the Puritans' uh, concern was not with Christmas itself. The, the concern of the Puritans, who were much maligned and much misunderstood, was that um, Christmas was just being turned into a time of pure revelry and uh, drunkenness and an excuse for parties and prostitution in the same way that they had issues with the theatre for the same reasons, not because they had fundamental objections to the arts, quite the contrary when you look at Cromwell's life, um, but because they, they, they were concerned about what it was uh, producing culturally. So th- this is a kind of you know, festival prudery, um, a sort of pietistic, aesthetic sort of drivel, in my view, that's concerned with sort of some kind of punctilious exactness um, in the name of of, uh, of Christian truth, in the name of being an ethical believer, when in fact they're just robbing themselves and other people of the joy of celebrating the birth of Christ with their families and in their churches. And might I add, it's probably the best time of the year to fish for men. Um, yeah. Christmas mm-hmm. and Easter mm-hmm. are incredible times of the year for evangelism because people um, for in general now in our very secularized culture are usually greatly distracted through much of the year. They've got very little uh, rushing here and there, not much time on their hands to think and reflect. Christmas and Easter, uh, this, especially as Christmas falls at the towards the end of the year, and we all know that studies show that suicide rates, for example, are at their highest at the beginning of a new year. Um, and that, that uh, people suffer tremendously, especially in the context of, you know, when you think that half of marriages end in divorce and you've got families getting together at this time of year, this is an amazing time to tell people about Christ the Savior. 
And it's one of the few mm-hmm. times, certainly where in, in England, across England, and certainly where I live, where churches that are some of them frequently half empty, if not two thirds empty, are packed to the gunnels at this time of year because people still have this sort of fading memory of the reality of the incarnation, that something important, something something significant where the divine and the human were touching at this time of year. And you've got the, the decorations, the lights, uh, the gift giving, the sense of, uh, and it's a palpable sense in the communities that we, we live in, of festive cheer, of people making more of a particular effort to be neighborly, neighbors getting together in one another's homes for a glass of sherry and a game of give us a clue or mold wine or wherever it might be. Um, there is a, a tremendous opportunity here for the gospel. Uh, and there always has been. If you want the easiest times of the year to do evangelism that is uh, has a certain ease about it in terms of the contact with people, Christmas and Easter. So my first comment before sort of, you know, letting Nate make some initial remarks too, is that I do not understand the obsession with this question. Um, Sure, we'll make some additional remarks about the the, the historicity of it, but this is not the challenge facing the church today. This is not the issue that caused the decline of the West. This is not the issue that's shattering and breaking down the church or ruining family life. Right, quite the contrary for, for uh, most of the time. So why don't we focus on the main thing? Stop robbing people of their joy with our pietistic nonsense and focus on the incarnation of Christ at this time of the year and the declaration of the gospel. Yeah, that's yeah, that's all good. I I agree with everything that uh, that Joe just said, and I think that. Um, you know, my heart goes out to the the person who wrote the question because they were asking, particularly in the context of other believers, and um, and you know what I would say is that there's there's a verse that this person ought to go to that's directly you know applicable to this, and it's in Romans fourteen, and there as you know Paul starts off Romans fourteen, and he he kind of talks about not having any quarrels over opinions. He says the one person has faith that he may eat all things, kind of going back to what he taught in 1 Corinthians 8. And it says, but the one who is weak only eats vegetables. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God accepted him. And he goes on you know, in the next uh, paragraph, and he says, one person values one day over another. Another values every day the same. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and the one who eats does so with regard to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. So even if there is a conscience issue for somebody to celebrate Christmas. And I would just say, we always have to calibrate our our conscience to the word of God. And so I think Joe's just done an excellent job at making a a case for why Christians should robustly celebrate Christmas. But even if somebody's conscience is such that they're not going to observe Christmas, they ought not to be judging others who do. There's a direct, you know, there's direct uh, application here from what Paul is saying to the person. So to the, the person who wrote in this question, I would just say, you know, help those who are trying to pressure you not to celebrate Christmas bring them to Romans 14 and say that this is a, a a matter over which there shouldn't be judgment within the the church. And I agree with everything that Joe just said in terms of um, this is not, this is not the issue that Christians ought to be fighting about right now. Yeah. And I, I would yeah, add, thanks, Nate. Uh, yeah, sorry, Ryan, I, I would just add the, from a, uh, from a textual point of view as well. Um, Nathan's referred to the book of Romans. There's a similar passage in uh, Colossians 2 that I think is relevant as well, beginning at verse 16, where Paul says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink, or in the matter of a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices. And he goes on. So um, the the uh, the point here, of course, is that similar disputes were going on in the life of the early church because there were all kinds of festival days that the Jews celebrated. 
Um, arguably, Christ celebrated Hanukkah himself um, in John 10, um, uh, which I don't believe is a, is, a, is a feast prescribed by the law of God. There were additional feasts um, that uh, the Jews had developed and, 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 and celebrated. And there were obviously the, uh, Jewish converts to the faith. And of course, there would have been also pagan uh, uh, converts to the Christian faith trying to learn you know, what was important for the Christian. And Paul is crystal clear here, just as he is in Romans, that this is not a matter for people to be judging one another on. Uh, whether it's in the, the, probably a, a church context from the, the, where this question came, um, or whether it's in social media with endless uh, debates on these subjects, uh, this is directly applicable beyond the Old Testament feasts to um, f- festivals today. Don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. We know that Christmas as a festival, as a celebration, this whole period of Advent, actually, that that we in the church calendar that has developed in the Western uh, tradition, Epiphany, of course, uh, was the two dates that were for for Christmas, December 25th, I think January 6th was in the Eastern calendar, um, uh, which is now the Feast of Epiphany. This This is part of the Western church's calendar, Advent, of course, is not Christ himself. It's not, he's, it's not the substance. It's the anticipation. It's the, it's the shadow. Um, and we are, just as we remember in the communion feast, um, in these festivals, we are remembering uh, the, the coming of Christ. We're bringing it to the fore again. And uh, if that is helpful in our Christian lives, and I have to say I have always found this season very helpful in my own Christian life, um, uh, this period of annual refocusing at Christmas and, and of course, at Easter. Um, I'm not going to judge somebody who doesn't want to celebrate in the way that I do, um, but I'm not going to accept judgment either from others from the outside. Um, this is a matter for, the, as, as Nate said, the conscience of the believer, but let's at least let our conscience be led by the scriptures. And least of all, we're not going to be guided by or condemned by delighting in ascetic practices as though some holier-than-thou pietists think that they are playing a sweeter harp than the rest of us um, because they they are not um, celebrating with Christmas turkey and gifts and a tree and candles and so on and so forth. Humbug. Uh, I'm not interested in uh, <laughs> in that sort of a, of a posture. And it seems to me to, 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 to miss the, the whole point of, festivals as such yeah this is uh, this is straightforward binding of the conscience uh when it comes from uh, especially when it comes from one believer to another so uh, nate go ahead and uh then you guys have both quoted yeah. scripture and i want to do one too but you go ahead okay oh well, i was just gonna say i think um you know there's I want to be careful because I do think that there is a um, sometimes an underlying motive that it, I think it's mixed and mingled with sin, as so so often our, our sin is. Um, but I think that there are some Christians who come to this question quite honestly because they're trying mm-hmm. to adhere to a regulative principle of Scripture, and they would say something yes. along the lines of, you know, uh, the celebration of Christmas and Christ's birth is not positively ascribed in the in the Bible. It's not commanded in the New Testament. Therefore, we ought not to do it. And and so I and I I I tend to think that the regulative principle is a very helpful way for us to to think through worship and liturgy. Um, but there there's a way of making it wooden and um and very legalistic. I I would say that um we have to take into account the whole theme and trajectory of Scripture. And, and as we look at the Old Testament and the New, it seems to me that the pattern is that God does something wonderful for his people and then tells them to celebrate it. And, and what more wonderful thing did he do than the incarnation? I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that the incarnation was the greatest miracle that God ever uh, did. And it's because, you know, the author of the story stepped into the story, right? This is like Tolkien, you know, pulling out his sword and stepping into the battle. 
this is, you know, this is like um, Herman Melville, you know, stepping, uh, you know, onto the ship and and uh, and going after the whale alongside uh, Captain Ahab. This is the author is stepping into his story. This is an incredible thing, and Christians ought to celebrate it. And I think that um, Joe said something that's really important that I just want to circle back to, just just say like this is the mindset that Christians ought to have. Again, we would all look at the trajectory of Scripture as Christ conquering, right? Christ is conquering the nations. Christ is is winning the world, um, right? He is the Savior uh, of the entire world, 1 John 4, 14, right? The propitiation, not just for our sins, but the sins of the whole world, 1 John 2, 2. Um, and so I would say Christ, Christmas, and this is why I love Christmas, it just smells and feels like Christian victory, right? Like I, I was I was in the mall the other day, very ill-advised in the month of December, by the way, but I was in the mall <laughs> and over the loudspeakers of the mall, Hark the Herald is playing with lyrics. This is in the godless city of London, Ontario. <laughs> and, wow. and over the loud and over the loudspeakers, you can clearly hear the the words, you know, Hark the Herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. I mean, that's what Christmas is all about, right? God and sinners being yeah. reconciled. And so there's the gospel being preached over the loudspeaker at a mall. And as Joe said, this just seems to be one of those times of year when even the most vehement, you know, purple hair lesbians who who hate everything Christian, um, they'll sing along to joy to the world in, in the mall because there's something in the air. And at the end of the day, I, I don't think, I know we're going to talk about this, I don't think that Christmas was merely a co-opted pagan celebration, but even if it was, I'm say I, I I'm all for it. I'm I'm for plundering pagan libraries, not burning them. And so I think that Christians right. ought to uh, take the victory that Christmas is. We've won this time of year, right? When when everybody even you know, uh, my, my atheistic neighbors know that Jesus is the reason for the season. They might not fully understand what that means. They might have, as Joe would love to say, a truncated view of what that means, but absolutely Christmas is Christian victory and we, we should celebrate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, Joe, you also mentioned, uh, the, the parallel of, uh, buying, uh, pagan buildings and, and using them as churches. Uh, and we, we talk a lot in a, uh, a, a philosophical sense about this uh, distinction between structure and direction uh, here on the show. And uh, it just just struck me that uh, here is a, a very literal application of, uh, of taking that structure of that, that building and uh, you know, applying mm -hmm. it, using it, uh, putting it into service in a, a God-honoring, God-oriented direction. And yeah. the other, uh, the other thing that I, I just uh, thought was worth mentioning, uh, Nate, you mentioned the uh, the regulative principle, which I think is valuable here. According to a, a strict uh, sort of wooden application of the regulative principle, uh, there are uh, there are seven uh, feasts that mark out the Hebrew year that are prescribed in Scripture that are regulated. Uh, these are all laid out for us in Leviticus twenty three: the Sabbath, the Passover. Feast of First Fruits, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Booths. But then later on, uh, we see, uh, you know, just for for one obvious example, the uh, the Feast of Purim, that that was celebrated after uh, God delivered uh, the Jews yeah. from uh, from Haman at the work of Queen Esther, and that uh, there's 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 no. Uh, divine prescription of that. The prescription is that, as Nate said, you celebrate when God works something miraculous for you. You uh, you honor and you commemorate and you celebrate mm -hmm. that. So I just, yeah. I, I think that- Can you uh, imagine Mordecai? Mm. Imagine Mordecai saying, yeah. <laughs> guys, guys, we, we can't we can't do this. Have you not read Leviticus 23? We can't celebrate a, a new festival. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah, right. this the, is unauthorized. The, um, that's a that's a very interesting interesting point. It would be strange indeed, wouldn't it, if God wanted people to celebrate the Exodus um, so uh, distinctively with with a variety of different feasts, and yet we weren't to celebrate the birth of the greater Moses uh, and the Exodus he's about to accomplish. 
Um, that would that yeah. would seem extremely odd. And I, t- I take Nate's point well, and I think it's a good one, that we do want to be mindful of people who may be listening to this who are struggling in their conscience with the um, regulative uh, principle or, or a particular application of it. Um, and uh, to those people, we want to encourage them to reflect on this. To those who have a sort of pharisaic attitude, I would say, where does the regulative principle apply then when we are preaching through church confessions rather than the word of God in our services? Nowhere does scripture say that we should be preaching through confessions of the church. Uh, or the three forms of unity. And yet there are plenty of churches who talk about a regulative principle who are preaching through their own confessions. Um, now, I've got no difficulty with a given church denomination wanting to teach its people um, through some of its confessions. But um, I think we're all aware that uh, there's a certain reverence that's applied to some of these human documents that certainly um, scripture would uh, take a dim view of. And so, look, let's, um, mm-hmm. let's be mindful that, uh, you know, th- when, we, when we think about the issue of worship, that is clearly what Paul has in mind in um, uh, Colossians 2. And he's laying down a regulative principle, and it's called don't judge people in their festivals and feasts. That, 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 that's, yeah, that's, that's the right. regulative yeah. principle. I think we need to take that one um, particularly seriously. N- Nate's um, Nate's point too about the sense of victory at Christmas. You know, there is a certain eschatology that's implicit yeah. in the celebration of Christmas, and that's why, by the way, the Canadian Human Rights Commission hates it uh, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. was uh, was mm-hmm. speaking against its public celebration and 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 having holidays. Holy days, by the way, that's what a holiday means, a holy day. Uh, They don't want truly holy days. They want secular, pagan holy days. They want pride months. Um, They want want celebrations of debauchery. Why on earth would we then as Christians stand with the Canadian Human Rights Commission in trying to stamp out holy days in the celebration of uh, Christmas, the birth of Christ. There's a reason they oppose that. They don't want yeah. the eschatology of Christmas. Remember, their objection in Canada was, "Well, this is well, this is a holiday for everybody, and we don't like that. These shouldn't be stat holidays because this is a multicultural society." Yeah, because the celebration of Christmas then being recognised as a holy day, even by the civil order, as it has been for centuries in the West, speaks to the eschatology of the Bible the victory of the that's Lord right. Jesus Christ. And that's, uh, I think, really important. Yeah, so I, th- I think that uh, it's uh, the, the point that, uh, that Nate made earlier is, uh, is very important that even if uh, Christmas is a, is a celebration that, uh, that was co-opted from, uh, from pagans, that was taken over from a, a pagan celebration, uh, that, shouldn't, uh, that shouldn't bother us. That is the, uh, that is the Christian pattern of, uh, of plundering the strong man's house and taking his goods, as, as Jesus illustrated uh, in his parables. But there's also, there's also good uh, historical evidence that that's not the case. And especially yeah. in, the, uh, in the early years of Christianity, when it was a, uh, a small and persecuted minority uh, amongst the, uh, you know, this behemoth of the Roman Empire, uh, Christ- Christians worked hard to... Uh, to keep themselves separate from the world, to uh, to make sure that their lives looked uh, very, very different, and to, uh, to sort of try to read in and say, from from a twenty first century Western perspective, that uh, oh, they were just uh, there was a holiday going on already at that time, so it was sort of natural and convenient that uh, that the Christians would celebrate a holiday and just kind of. Uh, splash some Christian whitewash on it. And instead of the, uh, the feast of Saturnalia, we would, uh, we would have the feast, uh, the, uh, the Christ's mass, the, uh, the feast of, of the nativity. So there's a, there's good reason. So theologically and sociologically to, to say, and there's evidence, uh, for this, that, uh, that 
that just wasn't wasn't the mindset, wasn't the uh, the attitude, and actually the opposite mindset would have been the thing. But uh, August, Augustine is uh, e- even records uh, Christmas celebrations uh, in uh, as early as the third century. Uh, that uh, that th- those were their own distinct celebrations. Uh, Maybe they happen to uh, to fall on the same or around the same time of the year, but that uh, to to extrapolate from that that they are celebrating the same thing or based on the same founding is uh, is a stretch. Yeah, I think that there's um, there, there's and there's there's hints uh, even though obviously the the name wasn't around yet. There's hints even earlier in church in church fathers of them celebrating the incarnation the uh the birth of christ Mm. um even earlier and and i think that some christians uh particularly christians maybe without our optimism in terms of uh historical eschatology um they they kind of blame everything on constantine so it's it's sort of like when you know once constantine did his did his thing everything got corrupt and everything was terrible um and i would just say you know there's ample evidence in the early church fathers that Christmas was being celebrated, at least the incarnation was being celebrated this time of year before Constantine ever did anything. And so um, to to kind of blame it on that is just a a sort of historical ignorance. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of really good evidence, even if you just look at, um, you know, uh, one of the things that I I found really helpful is you look into some of the historicity of, of what was going on is, this idea that that very likely the shepherds um, who were out in those fields were looking after uh, lambs that would have been involved in the the sacrificial system uh, for in Jerusalem during uh, the time of uh, uh, the atonement, and so the idea that um, everybody would have been in Jerusalem at Passover. They would have been looking for lambs right around the time in in that uh, winter those winter months lambs that would have been used. Um, many people don't know that during Passover around the time of Jesus, that there were about uh, a quarter of a million lambs slaughtered on uh, Passover. And that's a lot of lambs and they need to be uh, a certain uh, uh, age. They need to be a certain uh, without blemishes and all those kinds of things. So very likely those shepherds that we read about in the uh, uh, Christmas narrative uh, were out there, and some of their lambs would have been found to be without spot or blemish, and would have been used in the temple sacrificial system. And so, if you just trace back, uh, if you kind of go backwards, it's very likely that in middle of December, when the shepherds would have been out in their fields, they're looking for lambs that would be used just several months later. At uh, um, so, there's all kinds of little evidences, and and James White actually did a good job on this. He he had a he's one of the fellows mm-hmm. of the institute. And uh, he had a dividing line in uh, 2017 that I often go back at Christmas of 2017 that I often go back and reference. And he did a really good job of kind of drawing out. I think he had seven or eight um, indications that Jesus was born on or around December 25th. And uh, the evidence is out there if you want to look for it. It just uh, the the best place to find that is not often on uh, Twitter. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's true. Right. I think uh, an interesting, an int- given that Nate has talked about the something of the nativity, the the, the shepherds, and um, what was taking place. Of course, scripturally, we, we've got the the two accounts in in Matthew and Luke. Um, John deals with the subject of of Christ in a in a unique way in his Echo of the Book of Genesis, and Mark, of course, starts later later in. Um, but there is a certain, a nice place to conclude, I think would be to talk about the beauty of these, of, of celebrations as well. This, one of the reasons that God mandates the celebration of certain events with feasting and celebrating and, uh, even making things, decorating things. And even if you think about the, the beauty of the temple itself, temple was an incredibly beautiful place right, right down to the details on the robes of the priests um the pomegranates yep. and the and and the scripture says in exodus mm-hmm. it was for beauty and for glory that was its function just to be beautiful 
to remind us of of something uh, uh, edenic, so something of the divine fellowship that was ours. And um, the idea that that uh, that God, you know, post the Reformation, now delights in ugliness um, and uh, the bland and the banal um, would seem to be a strange mm. conclusion to me. And and one of the one of the lovely things about Christmas is the 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 beauty itself of the season. We're living in a a time when art has become very moribund. It's it's dark. Um, it's frequently degraded and perverted, and uh, it's almost as though you know human beings want to take vengeance on God's world um, by saying there's nothing lovely in it anymore. There's nothing lovable about it. Um, but Christmas reminds us and reminds people that that isn't the case. And you know, there's something very important about this very idea of beauty um, because, uh, and, you know, Nate's alluded to it in, in, in the, even, even that anecdote about the, the fact that the lambs were probably sacrificial lambs for the temple. And in our two accounts, mm-hmm. we've got Matthew focusing on the Magi uh, on the, the 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 magi from the east who leave their contemplations and their observatories as they see the king star rising, and and then you've got almost by contrast because the 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 magi are bringing their their luxurious gifts, and the shepherds are the poor common folk that Luke deals with uh, coming on that very day. You hear the the angelic. Uh, even song, as I called it in a recent article, an angelic even song, an instruction to go and find basically the savior of the world wrapped in in uh, swaddling bands and lying in the feeding trough of an animal, which remember is what a manger actually is. Uh, yeah. And so there is a kind of elusive beauty about the the, the narrative of Christmas that captures people's imagination in a way that I don't think any other story does. And why, and why shouldn't it? Because here we have the paradox of the eternal and time of the infinite God and the human meeting. Uh, I think it's Augustine who points out that uh, uses certainly Psalm 85 in a beautiful mm. way that um, uh, that um, righteousness and peace, mercy, they've kissed together, they've embraced one of the truth has sprung from the earth um, and, 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 and righteousness and peace have kissed one another. And this is the, the, the enigmatic beauty really of the Christmas period. In one sense, you've got poverty, you've got animals, you've got a feeding trough, you've got no room in the, the house for the main house for this couple. And yet at the same time, you've got in distant lands, um, Magi embarking on a journey uh, because they've seen a, a unique star in the heavens and they recognize what it is and means. And you've got shepherds in a field who are treated to something that I've never heard, um, a, a choral piece from the third heaven um, of angel choirs announcing the birth of the Savior. And even hard-hearted people, you know, that Nate has referred to, something about this, the beauty of this season in an ugly world where there is so much ugliness and depravity and cynicism um, that still captures people's hearts. And if we can focus them during this season for a moment as they're captivated, maybe like a flash mob, you know, that, that starts up in a mall somewhere in Toronto and suddenly starts singing, you know, the, the, the hallelujah chorus or starts breaking into a, a great Christmas carol and people stop and they're stunned and that you see them rooted to the spot, transfixed by the, by the beauty of the moment. If we can at this season as, as, as leaders especially, but as Christians in general, recognize the beauty of this moment that human beings cannot live without beauty and beauty is meaning and in the beauty of the christmas season the meaning of life itself of our spiritual need our moral need comes to the fore 
if it was just like every other day and like every other uh, time of the year, nobody would notice, right? It's the, it's the mm. punctuation of time with a festival like this that gives us, I think, a unique opportunity that, you know, when the scripture says, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, God cares about aesthetics. And even though this looks like any other baby in one sense, it's ordinary, it's the birth of a human being in a poor family, there is something utterly profound and beautiful about it because we know who that baby actually is. Mm-hmm. No, that uh, that is, as you say, Joe, uh, significant, powerful, and profound. Uh, Nate and I were talking just a little bit before the show, before you came on, about uh, how how we've celebrated Christmas uh, with our uh, with our families uh, lately. And uh, as we as we wrap up this episode, maybe uh, maybe that'd be helpful or instructive to some people who have been struggling with this question. Uh, we've we've talked. Uh, pretty extensively about whether we should celebrate Christmas, but uh, maybe we'll just take one or two minutes and uh, and talk about how. Uh, so, Nate, uh, I can uh, I know that you've uh, you've thought about this freshly, so I'll uh, I'll throw it over to you first and give Joe a second. Yeah, sure. I think, uh, especially off of Joe's point there, which I think is uh, is sort of the, you talk about punctuation, that's the punctuation of this episode. So if you want to just scroll back to that minute mark and, and listen to that a few more times, I think it'll uh, pump you up for Christmas celebrations. Um, mm-hmm. So with that punctuation mark, I think, you know, riffing off of that, because the story is so beautiful, we ought to um, focus on storytelling at Christmas. Um, I, I know at Ezra Press we have uh, "Behold Your King" uh, is a uh, is a publication is a book uh, written by the Van Brimmers that we uh, that we sell and uh, our family goes through that. It's a wonderful Christmas Advent uh, devotional and celebration. So we use that mm-hmm. and have for a couple of years now. Um, but uh, I think it's it's a number of things. I think uh, make your home beautiful. Right? You talk about the the beauty of the story and the beauty of the season make your home beautiful and and you know i know that we're talking to people who are in one bedroom apartments in and uh and people who are in you know luxurious 10 acre properties but wherever you are you can make what's around you beautiful and you can you can dress it up and you can put lights there and you can let your kids make crafts and decorate the rooms and decorate the houses like make the the house beautiful and reflective of the season as well and and you can make you can make all these things i mean we didn't get into all of the ideas of you know uh you know whether or not christmas trees pay homage to the fertility goddesses i think you can all guess where we stand on that i i I think (laughs) an evergreen tree is a beautiful picture of the everlasting life that extends beyond the death of winter and i think that martin luther and many other christians in history saw that as well and so when we bring evergreen trees into our our uh, homes we don't just do it because it's tradition and i teach my kids this reminds us that we will last forever that every single single person is either, as C.S. Lewis says, an everlasting yeah. uh, splendor or an eternal terror. And it reminds us of the eternality of the human soul at Christmas. It teach, it reminds us of evangelism. Um, when we when we put um, you know decorations onto the tree, we put lights on the tree because Christ is the light of the world who came down into darkness. We put lights on our houses and we go through and we drive around looking at Christmas lights because we're looking when you look at light in darkness at, at, in, under the darkness of night, it's a beautiful thing. So you're just teaching your kids all that stuff. And even in terms of sweets and all that kind of stuff, I feel like we're fairly strict parents in terms of like the, what we let our kids eat. But at Christmas time, it's about indulgence. I'm, I'm okay with my kids eating extra sweets and extra candy and all that kind of stuff. Because at, at the end of the day, what we're celebrating at Christmas is the indulgence, right? I think it's um, Isaiah 49, where God says of his servant Christ, it's too small a thing that you should be sent to redeem the house of Jacob only, right? In other words, Christ's life is so valuable that he's not going to send it just to redeem the house of Israel, that he says, I will send you as a light to the nations. I'm going to save all the Gentiles. I'm going to save the whole world through you because of the value of your blood. And so uh, so God sent what was most precious, most valuable to him. And, and, and the value of Christ's life for all the sinners of the world is still excess. 
And, uh, and so we see the indulgence and the excess and the extravagance of God at Christmas time. And we ought to, uh, you know, not in a sort of materialistic or consumeristic way, but we look through the extravagance of turkeys and, and extra chocolates and all that kind of stuff to the great gift giver who uh, calls us to celebrate and calls us to enjoy the things of earth that he called very good. So I, I know that's maybe not as practical. So maybe Ryan, you can say some other things, but I would just say celebrate hard with your family and teach your kids the principles behind why they get extra sweets, why they get extra screen time, mm-hmm. why they get to stay up late and go look at Christmas lights. Yeah, oh, I think that I think that's plenty practical, and uh, we do uh, we do many uh, many of those same things. Uh, one one of the things that. Uh, that we have done that uh, with our with our young kids we've found to be you know, really effective is that uh, we we celebrate the whole Christmas season the whole Advent season uh, so and this this has a couple of uh, couple of benefits uh, first of all Joe you you mentioned uh, like Christmas and New Year's uh, with the uh, the breakdown of families and thing breakdown of relationships things like that. That for a lot of people, this is a this is a difficult time. This and this is a hard time uh, for this can be a hard time for many reasons. But it can be a hard time. We can make it a hard time on ourselves by putting too much pressure on Christmas Day to make uh, because we've watched too many movies and we think that if we can just get this dinner right, if we can just get these two people sat beside each other. If we can just do that, uh, you know, do that new new twist that we learned with the green beans, then this this one will be good. This then, and we put so much pressure on on that day or that event that invariably, when something doesn't live up to our expectations, uh, we can uh, we can get overwhelmed, and the whole thing we can write the whole thing off as a loss. Uh, so one of the one of the ways that uh, that we do to uh, to counter that in our family is to celebrate every day during Christmas, uh, every day during the month of December, up until Epiphany, January sixth. Uh, we we have a little gift for the kids every day, and you know sometimes I, I say little, it's little. It's a uh, doesn't cost. Not we're not spending you know hundreds of dollars every day of the month. Sometimes it's a it's a bag of gummy bears. Uh, sometimes it's doing a craft or a puzzle, but, uh, but we celebrate, we celebrate St. Nicholas day. We celebrate St. Lucia's day. Uh, we, uh, we have baking and music and special songs and games and activities that, that we do. And that, uh, that gets, gets the spirit, the, the attitude of celebration and of thanksgiving and of generosity that really, uh, gets, helps, uh, all of us uh, and the kids, especially as they're learning this for the first time, helps them to uh, get into the spirit, as it were. And it takes it takes a lot of pressure off of Christmas Day itself, so that if something doesn't go the way you've planned, or if you didn't get that uh, that thing that you kind of maybe had your heart set on, that uh, it's not uh, it's not the end of the world. It's not uh, not going to ruin your holiday because you've had so much. Uh, opportunity to celebrate and to uh, give and receive uh, in uh, in a, in the spirit of Christ. Hey, maybe sign us off, Joe. How does uh, how, how do uh, yeah. how do they celebrate Christmas over across the pond? Mm. Well, my children obviously a lot older now, um, but. Um, they they uh they bounce back at christmas that's for sure uh and uh cuz two two of mine are in university well one's at uh, a conservatoire the other one's in university and and my youngest uh, my son is still school age but much older um and so we've got well established christmas traditions now and so they they all like to uh to to see those happen so uh jenny and i are still stuffing stockings on a on Christmas Eve. So they've all, even at 21, 22, have got uh, a stocking of, of gifts on their bed for first thing Christmas morning. Um, like you, we have, we have routines, um, especially there's lots of music with us because, uh, 
one of my daughters is a singer. We were actually, a, she was singing at a Christmas concert today. And in, in the tradition over here, um, for, for many people, and certainly in our, in our tradition, um, there's, a, there's a, a, a sort of routine of Christmas services, including a midnight service on Christmas Eve. That's uh, hugely significant for us. And we're usually involved in a lot of music. Um, we, we do have a couple of other, uh, the storytelling thing. I, I like that you said that Nate, because we, we tend to focus on Christmas stories, um, mm-hmm. over the Christmas period. So just before Christmas Eve, we watch every year, a Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens, because we're thinking about somebody, a story, a redemptive story associated with Christmas. And then on Christmas Eve in the, in the evening, um, prior to the midnight service, we watch um, the Nativity, which is a fantastic um, a depiction, m- marvelous movie. I recommend that to people um, of of the uh, of the story of, of of the birth of Christ. I think it's the, certainly the best cinematic um, production that um, I've seen. So we tend to watch that, and then it's and then it's family gatherings, and we tend to have a rather than more screens, we tend to do a no screens. Um, at least no phones, no no private screens on Christmas Day and Boxing Day, so that we can do you know family games, family food, and then family movies. We do actually quite like between Christmas and and um, uh, January fifth, we like to try and get through the extended editions of the of the Lord of the Rings if we can, um, uh, <clears throat> because it's it's a Christmas tradition. It's the return of the king, right? It's a story of um, salvation, redemption, and uh, kingship. Um, so, uh, so we have a, a, a you know a, a balance of things where we, where we try and also um, get time together that we wouldn't otherwise get in in other parts of the year to uh, to play games, to to read to one another, um, puzzles, uh, and um, uh, some maybe a bit of aircraft modeling here and there. Stuff that we just would never get to is always done at, at Christmas and usually things will sit then for quite a long time till the following year um, till we can uh, till, till we can get back to them. So it's a very it's a very special time of the year for our family. Um, and of course, as for most people, it's a time to get together with other members of the family and cousins and so forth as well. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Well, I'll tell you, I am, I turned 40 years old this year and we're going to go visit my parents on Boxing Day, and I am still looking forward to uh, opening my stocking when we get to their house. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And we'll bring something for them, too. But that's, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's an, how... An orange. That's how, an orange. An orange, yeah. yeah. An orange and a lump of coal yeah, for the fire. Of, uh, yeah, a couple, of, a couple of Hershey's kisses, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, this is uh, this has been a uh, a good conversation. I hope that this has been a blessing to those who listen. Uh, if you've had any uh, any conscience struggles about uh, celebrating Christmas as a Christian or celebrating generally, uh, just know that uh, our God is a uh, a victorious and conquering King, and that uh, he will uh, he is in the process of wiping every tear from our eyes. And we uh, we celebrate this season with uh, with mm-hmm. joy, with gratitude, and with uh, with zeal. So from uh, from all of us Amen. here at the Ezra Institute at the Podcast for Cultural Reformation, uh, we wish you a very merry Christmas, and we remind you as always that from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. May God be glorified. <laughs>